This week on the Totally Biased Media Podcast, we talk Shang-Chi, discuss some big announcements from PlayStation, radio legend Ira Glass stops by, and more. Stay tuned for another bus-fighting, death-defying episode of TBM. I'm Jackson Walkup, and if I die, it's Jason's fault. I'm Jason Simmons, and the m***er was such a nasty Hello, I'm Jordan Walkup, and you're listening to TBM. This week, we have an exciting episode where we take a look at the new hit film from Marvel and Disney called Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, starring Simu Liu, Aquafina, Tony Leung Chao Wei, and Fala Chin. It's currently sitting at over $35 million made in its opening weekend and has a 92% critic rating and a 98% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm going to hand it over to Jason, our resident Marvel Cinematic Universe expert, to give us some information about the plot of this film. Hello, this is NPR Newsroom, and I'm Jason Simmons. <laughs> Please do not match my energy on this. I want this bit to end. Oh. It went so much longer than it went so much longer than it did in my head. Not nah, whole episode now. <laughs> Anyways, Chong Chi is the story of a man who does kung fu. That's it. That's the whole movie. Um, he also overcomes issues with his father, and then does some more kung fu, and then he fights a giant CGI monster. This has been your MCU critical report. Yeah, so Shang-Chi is the 24th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and uh, it is the introduction of Shang-Chi himself. <laughs> uh, we have seen some subtle references to this group called the Ten Rings in previous movies, and we even had a phony Mandarin who is supposedly the leader of the Ten Rings, uh, several movies ago, and it was quite bad. But now, he's here to set the record straight about the Ten Rings and their leader, who is not the Mandarin, but kind of is the Mandarin, and, more importantly, his son, Shang-Chi. So, Jackson, why don't you kick us off? What'd you think of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? I really liked it. I mean, I will say, I think... Uh, I think you said something similar to this after we watched it, but I was kind of hoping that it would be another breakout hit, like Guardians of the Galaxy or Ant-Man, but like, it wasn't anything like that, but it was still pretty good. Yeah, I think overall, it was a good movie. It had some really nice fight scenes, probably some of the best in the whole MCU, other, maybe other than Winter Soldier, but yeah, I think, like overall, just a really good movie. I think it had some flaws and some characters that I think just either should have been less in the movie or been less important. But I don't know. I don't. Uh, I don't really know what all to say yet. Kind of waiting <laughs> to rift off you guys. It was a very MCU movie. Yes, it checked, yeah, exactly. it checked yeah. all the boxes. It was missing yep. the giant sky beam, but it did have the CGI <laughs> monster fight, and that makes up for it. I would say. 
I think we can all agree. Yeah. CGI monster fight is equal to giant sky beam. It's it's interesting. Like I can't help but compare it to Black Widow because it was the most recent MCU movie before this one, and I think they had sort of a similar like idea in like let's make the MCUest MCU movie yet, and they both did that pretty well. But this one for just some did reason, it better. <laughs> yeah, this movie just wasn't as like this movie was it. You could kind of see what was coming from a mile away plot-wise, but I think it was just a more interesting setting and more interesting characters and just more interesting, I think, dynamics in the world. I'm going to go ahead and get into this. Uh, I think that it was a lot easier to watch and listen to because it wasn't a bunch of Americans pretending to do Russian accents. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Black Widow, like... I feel like I was distracted for half the movie by just some people did good Russian accents and other people did awful ones and nobody could like actually hold an accent the whole time. And this movie, anytime they were speaking another language, they got people that actually spoke that language to play the part. So, so that went a long way. There is a lot of this movie that's not in English. Like there were a lot of subtitles for an MCU movie. Like I would have I would have thought they were kind of too much of cowards to commit to that honestly, but like I think it actually felt very authentic in what it was shooting for and trying to capture what life was like in some of these places outside of the US. I really liked the way that they showed Katie Aquafina's character's family. I think yeah. that was one of the more yeah. believable family dynamics I've seen in an MCU movie. Yeah, it was, and it was it was almost disappointing they weren't in it more because it was like it was cool to see a Marvel hero and like Marvel supporting characters in like normal real world settings for more than just like a brief glimpse and then they're shot off to do superhero things. This movie does that, but it does hone in a little bit more on what their life was like beforehand. Yeah, I really liked the whole relationship between uh, Simu Liu's character, who go- who goes by Sean when they're in America, and they make fun of him for being so bad at picking an American name, because he's supposed to be undercover, because he's hiding from his father, and the secret name that he chooses when he goes to America is just Sean, Sean. when his real name is Sean Chi. <laughs> It was a pretty solid joke in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually really think one of the things that carried this movie was just the relationship between Shang-Chi and, Aqu- and Aquafina and Katie. Like, I admittedly have not been a huge fan of Aquafina in a lot of past roles because she's always sort of a caricature. And she is here as well to an extent. But, like, it felt like a very genuine and believable relationship which admittedly there haven't been a ton of in marvel movies in the past i haven't seen her tv show but i've seen her appear in several things and i've seen a couple movies that have had her with in it it's kind of interesting that the superhero movies the first one where it really feels like she plays a grounded character (laughs) yeah i think talking about katie kind of bringing me to my major complaint about the movie which, I don't think her character was bad or anything, and it's definitely not Aquafina, Aquafina's fault. But, like, at a certain point in the movie, where, like, the entire superhero Avenger starts to, like, start. And, I mean, she's kind of just, you know, comic relief from that point, because it's a Marvel movie. There has to be a comic relief character. But eventually, near the end, she uh, starts to learn archery, but she does it in, like, a day, and, like, she becomes a master at it. 
Well, I don't think it's necessarily implied she's a master. She makes a couple of real good shots, though. <laughs> Some very opportune shots. It's kind of implied she's like a prodigy. Or just like mm. pre... Like supernaturally disposed to archery or something. I don't really know. Yeah, there's sort of a whole spiritual, supernatural vibe to like the whole last act of the movie which I think sort of implies yeah. like a, a destiny of sorts that's sort of giving people the power they need. Almost in a, uh, 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 I don't want to say this wrong, is it is deus ex machina? Is that the thing where it's just like, yeah. you get what you need? Yeah. It almost has that vibe to it, but it never quite goes too, too far. I'm, I'm fine with Katie starting to become like us here at the end, because based on like, you know, other scenes after, like, the big battle, it's very apparent she will be in a good bit of future movies. And, like, it's nice that she's also going to become a fighter and not just comic relief character. I just kind of find it weird she learns how to do all that stuff in, like, a day. <laughs> I mean, if we want to talk about how weird it is to learn stuff in a day, um, it's not quite, it's not just over a day, but they do imply that Shang-Chi's sister, who gets introduced a little bit into the movie, learns, like, all of the same martial arts tricks and stuff that Shang-Chi knows uh, just by watching. And I don't really think that you can learn, like, grabs and stuff like that without having someone to practice on. Yeah, there was sort of a... Yeah. Uh, there were some creative liberties with uh, the process of how you learn to fight. But it's <laughs> also just... I mean, it's a movie. Like, I don't really care if there's a couple of, like, jumps... You know, where people just are suddenly very skilled at something that they previously never touched before. That's just something you get used to watching movies. For some reason in Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Will Turner's really good at sword fighting. But, like, I don't care because it made the movie go along. If he wasn't good at sword <laughs> fighting, he would have gotten killed very quickly. Now that's a movie I'd want to see. <laughs> now as great as most of the protagonists in this movie are... I do think that they throw a lot of antagonists sort of at you all at once, and only one of them really seems to actually matter in the end. So I thought that was sort of sort of a weird decision. Like basically, you have these two these two characters that are established as like these guys work for the big bad, and they're going to get into every brawl, but like. They basically don't even have names. One of them I genuinely didn't know the name until after I watched the movie. Like, I I had to look it up just to see, like, what this character was even called. And the other like, one we didn't know the name of until they stole his car. And he had his yeah. name written on it. <laughs> you know how what you write his your name? name on your car. <laughs> Razor Fist? Razor Fist. Yeah. But, like, most of the movie you're seeing more of those two characters than you are of Tony Leung... The young Chao Wei's Zhu Wen Wu character, who is like the main baddie, Shang Chi's dad. I mean, you see Razor Fist a lot. I don't remember seeing the other guy more than just in the background. I guess he's only really in one big fight. Yeah. But like, I'm kind of like like Jackson said before we started recording. He was just like all over the advertising for this movie, which I think was sort of to hide the fact that Shang Chi's dad was like sort of the villain but it was just weird how little of the movie he was actually in and the weird thing is about that eventually a lot of the advertising did have win Wu as like the featured villain <laughs> so 
So I just don't get what they were doing with that. I guess that's a good a good lead in to uh, another way that this movie is as MCU as it gets. <laughs> like this one is straight up first act is learning a little bit about the backstory of the character, some flashbacks, some just chilling in normal life. The middle is them slowly learning about this complex history and sort of what that means in the grand scope. And third act's big fight. And like, <laughs> that was yeah. pretty much like the driving force for MCU movies for like the first two phases. You know, I mean, I feel like with most Marvel movies, whenever they start making it, they just throw a, like a template up that just everyone has. It's just like act one, this act one, act two, this act three, big fight. I mean, I think that you can just say that generally about action movies. Yeah, That's, they yeah, they all yeah, just follow the same template. Uh, like the MCU gets a lot of crap because I think that it follows the template a little too closely. <laughs> Yeah. But, like, it's all action movies. And I, I think the action in this movie is really good. Oh, absolutely. Like, it is definitely a strong point for it. For the first I two I think acts. what sort of makes... What makes sort of this so apparent, like, why that why it makes it look so formulaic, is because each of the three acts takes place in, like, a fundamentally different location with a totally different aesthetic, a different style. Like, the characters just act differently. And, like, it's broken up into three very distinct chunks, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just definitely was some flashbacks to, like, Thor 1. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get you, but I, I don't know. I don't really care third that much. Third act didn't look great. <laughs> I thought the third act was the worst part of the movie. I, I thought yeah. there was some good dialogue. Um, I mean, we've already said the villains win woo. When they fight, like, I think that their dialogue with each other and like the way that they're talking to each other is interesting and like kind of growing their relationship and i enjoyed that part uh but the fighting that was going on at the same time was it was just a cgi fest the ten rings yeah, just does. do whatever they want them to do for that scene like there's no rhyme or reason to what they do and that's just kind of how they are for the whole movie <laughs> I'm interested to see what the Ten Rings mean for the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because in this movie, they're just some bracelets that kind of, like, make you punch and kick different. <laughs> like, they can kind of, like, you throw a punch and the rings shoot out in front of you as if the punch was going further. And it's a lot of just stuff like that. He also uses them to jump several times. Like, he'll yeah. punch towards the ground to basically, like, rocket jump. I think the best parts of the movie are the parts without it, though. Um, oh, absolutely. There's a fight on a bus really early in the movie. Definitely the highlight of the yeah. movie, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, the coolest oh, yeah. part by far. Where it's just, it's mostly, like, realistic kung fu, at least for half of the fight. Uh, where it's just Shang-Chi, like, beating up some goons who are there to steal his necklace. Uh, and then a guy with a sword hand comes out, and it gets a little ridiculous, but generally the fighting cool. is at least cool and, like, fun to watch. I think it was also shot extremely well. I think it had a lot of really good natural momentum to it. Like, all the fights felt like they were building to something, and even if they took some unexpected turns, it still felt like... It felt like there was a lot of good energy going through them, which was cool, because a lot of action movies... You know, it's it's a couple punches and kicks, but everything feels very plain, very standard. Whereas, like, they were pretty pretty high-energy fights all the way through, and they felt like they got progressively bigger 
and flashier up until the very end. Which, yeah. again, it ends a little too flashy, but like it was a cool progression. It's also really nice to see fight scenes where they actually use the environment around them. It's something that yeah. I feel like we saw a lot in Daredevil, but not really too much in the MCU movies. Yeah, again, the only thing that comes to mind really is Winter Soldier again. <laughs> that uh, movie think- just had the best fights. I think personally, my favorite fight scene in the movie was the scaffolding fight, because it's like it's a two D brawler. Because they're not really they're not working with much space, and they made that scene really cool in my opinion. I just feel like I'd seen that before. <laughs> yeah, that was it was a kung fu staple. There were a See, lot of movies in the nineties that did scaffolding fights for some reason. Like I don't really know why. I haven't really seen any action movies or movies in general outside of the MCU, so I have not seen anything like that before. <laughs> Jackson just casually like, sorry, I haven't seen movies. <laughs> oh, what did you see that in? Um, a movie? Not familiar. Is that like the thing they did before the MCU? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you the story of a time long before the MCU. The year was 1975. The year was 2006. The, the year was 1989. Bowling for that soup man? was a was a natural treasure. <laughs> I don't remember what year uh, that song was. <laughs> I think it was Was it 1985? I, I think it was 85. Got to got to stop our review of the movie Shang-Chi to look up some info on Bowling for Soup. <laughs> 1985 it was a different time you know as and if anybody's you know wondering including jackson like what makes 1985 so different from the movies that we're making now with the mcu and to them i would say go listen to the song 1985 by bowling for soup and it'll explain everything now it's it's hard to sort of talk about anything in the mcu without sort of getting into what it's setting up, what the expectations for the future are. And, like, generally speaking, I think that that's something that kind of holds back most Marvel movies. And I think that this one was kind of smart, where most of the overlap with other Marvel stuff is confined to basically just the very end of the movie. Not even the end of the movie, just, like, the post credit scenes. <laughs> yeah, like, it's pretty well self-contained, which yeah. is good, and has not been the case with Marvel movies in a yeah. minute. That said, we still did get that fight scene between Wong and Abomination that everybody had been talking about from the trailers for the movie. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it was, I mean, it was kind of disappointing. It wasn't much longer than what they showed in the trailers. <laughs> yeah. I'm still confused why that happened. I guess that's something that'll be explained in Multiverse of Madness, maybe? I don't know. I mean, I, I believe Abomination's gonna be in She-Hulk, so maybe they just kind of yeah. wanted to show, like, he's still around. He's still out there. Yeah, Yeah, but it was still kind of weird Wong was just it, out there at a fighting ring. It's also a new design for him. For Abomination. Yeah, he does not look like yeah. it for Wong. He looks like actual <laughs> Abomination and not, like, yeah, he's, he's got, like, fins on his head and stuff like that. He doesn't just look like Gross Hulk. Yeah. So that, it was kind of cool to see. in that movie, Hulk looked like Gross Hulk. <laughs> I thought he looked fine. Oh, he was just Big Green Man. It, his face and neck was kind of weird. He was Big Green Edward Norton. 
but they didn't quite have the technology, or I guess they did. They just didn't use it to like really embrace the fact that he was still the actor, quite like they did with Mark Ruffalo from 2012 on. So like, he still kind of looked like they just took some facial features from Ed Norton and put it onto an already made Hulk. Just sort of in a weird middle ground between a totally original character and just Ed Norton's face. I guess let's go, let's circle back to that third act of this movie. Because narratively, I, I really don't have any problems with it. Like, I think it, it all made sense based on where the characters were headed and the things they wanted to accomplish. And I think it had some pretty good character moments, but it just looked bad. Yeah. Like, it was a lot of CGI that wasn't as detailed as previous MCU projects. You can tell that this movie didn't quite have the same budget as something like uh, Endgame, you know? Yeah. Because there's a big CGI dragon fight, and it looks dated. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think it looked dated or anything. I think it was just out of place for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I can agree with that, too. And yeah. you know, even if you even if we don't want to say it looks dated, it just it was uninteresting. I don't think that they were doing anything particularly interesting during the fight. It was just two CGI monsters fighting each other, and if that's not the draw of your movie, then <laughs> Yeah. It was I think a big problem with it was that the fight between the two monsters was very detached. Like it was in the water or in the air, and they weren't like like, the people on land fighting around them didn't really interact with these monsters at all. They were just kind of doing their own thing. So the fact that there was a big monster fight happening didn't seem to really have any, like, actual stakes on the people close by. And part of the draw for movies, like, about Godzilla or King Kong, but not the one about them both, <laughs> um, like, sort of the real interesting part is the fact that there are hundreds, sometimes thousands of real human beings that you, you know, have to assume are trying to escape that. And that's where sort of the suspense comes from. And this fight was just two very clearly CGI beings out fighting each other in an unrelated territory. It also had, like, smaller squid things that were attacking the people, like the normal people on land. And, you know, it was obvious that it was just people pointing sticks and doing moves that they were just like, oh, we'll add the monsters later. Just, just do whatever you yeah. want. Make it work. <laughs> Which is weird, because there were some really cool, like, big choreographed scenes. And then, like, that stuff was... Clearly, they just told, like, a hundred people, like, go wave this around like you're fighting something <laughs> in the air. It also felt like there were several scenes where there wasn't really any impact to it, because it would show, like, a person doing something. I just... Archery isn't particularly interesting to watch. Unless you can see the person and the thing they're shooting. Yeah. Oh, so you're telling me when I was in archery, that wasn't fun to go watch? Well, no, we could see you and the thing you were shooting. That wasn't ah. interesting because it was high school archery. Yeah. The The problem with movies with archery is they, they want to switch shots to like show you what the arrow's doing while it's flying at the monster. And that com- it creates a disconnect from the archer. And it's just not very interesting. Because it doesn't seem like, oh, this archer shot that thing. It seems like, oh, that arrow hit that thing. You've taken the focus away from the person doing the action and given the focus to an inanimate object. That being said, 
the people that are fighting with their fists and swords and stuff. I could watch more of that all day. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty clear that the people in the movie had martial arts training, or at least, you know, movie martial arts training. And it's definitely a lot more interesting to watch than most other movies. I think that was also something, like, Black Widow kind of had going for it, was the fight scenes. Not necessarily that they were, like, well-trained, but more just... There's a lot of impact to the fight scenes because it's people that are actually trained, actually doing fighting moves at each other. I think it also helps when there aren't a ton of guns in play. Like, a lot of fight scenes in Black Widow either had to start with someone disarming someone else or ended because someone then trained a gun on someone else. And they don't really have that in this one because they're mainly fighting with like swords and spears and bows. And I think that that just generally makes for more interesting combat-focused scenes. Yeah, there's... I can't remember what show it was. I want to think Justified. There's a pretty interesting sh- uh, like 10 feet rule that basically gets established. And it's like, if you're further than 10 feet away, the person with the gun is always going to win. Yeah. So if you're fighting someone hand-to-hand that has a gun like you need to close the distance as quickly as possible and if you're more than 10 feet away just don't do it at all you need to disarm them well and i've heard that that's actually like i want to think that's an actual thing in fighting i'm i'm totally uh, this could be totally made up i'm just i think i've heard that like if someone's fighting like gun to knife type fight and they're less than 10 feet apart, the person with the knife actually has the advantage. I think is the gist of it. Yeah, and vice versa. But yeah, not a ton of guns, lots of punching and kicking and stabbing and slashing, and I think that the movie is better for it. Personally, I just already find that stuff way more cool than gunfights. Gunfights can be done well, but... I mean, look at the best movies that have gunfights. I mean... John Wick. John Wick 2. John Wick 3. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, in John Wick, a lot of the gunfights are really close up, where they're, like, part fist fights. They're, they're basically fist fights with guns. And I think it's just because, like, the people making the movie realized, like, gunfights aren't that interesting. You have to do something yeah, kind of I mean, ridiculous, like what the Matrix did. I, I think, like, the, the reason they brought bullet time in is probably because they realized how boring... Just having, like, scenes of people shooting can get. And even then, the best scenes of that movie were the hand-to-hand fights. Yeah. Granted, they were still, you know, weird Matrix stuff, but... Yeah, no, I mean, I... That's a completely different thing. I mean, Matrix basically brought hand-to-hand combat to, like, to Hollywood, so... Matrix did so much stuff, and I never give it credit for any of it. Because of the sequels. I think the problem with Shang-Chi is every time we're talking about it, I want to talk about other movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is like, what, the third or fourth times we went off the, off the rails? Eh, I wouldn't say off the rails. Just, you know. Well, my other thought was script. My other thought was script, but we don't have a script. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, overall, good movie. I don't know I'm how excited. obvious it is, but we don't have that much to say about this movie. Yeah. I, I'm excited to see where the MCU takes Shang-Chi next. Probably have to wait a while for that. I'd say either till the next team-up movie or Shang-Chi 2. And I think both of those are going to be a while till we see them. Yeah, I, I really do want to see more of Shang-Chi and Katie. 
But I don't know. I don't think I'll ever watch this movie again, honestly. I'd probably... I mean, most Marvel movies are like this for me. But I'll probably won't watch it again unless I did, like, a MCU watch through. Yeah, that's about the only way I could see myself going back to it. There's, like, like two Marvel movies I've watched outside of doing that. I've watched both of them, like, at least five times. I have I have a handful that I have watched several times since. But it's, like, Winter Soldier, Thor Ragnarok, Infinity War, Endgame. Like, they are sort of the undisputed heights of the MCU. And, like, while this movie was pretty good, like, solid, I don't think it's quite... It's yeah. not... It's not like top five <laughs> material. Yeah, I just really feel like outside of the bus fight and the scaffolding fight, there's really not much to talk about with this movie. Yeah, like yeah. It, it's not a particularly interesting movie. Yeah, like it's fun to watch and it's it's funny in certain scenes. And I mean, I feel like a lot of the characters are like interesting and they're kind of the way they interact with each other is fun. Yeah, I mean, the best thing about this movie are the fight scenes. And, like, there's really only three big ones. And the third one is, like, pretty much all CGI. Sort of what you're both saying goes back to sort of the predictability of it. Like, yeah, you kind of knew where this movie was going pretty much in the very beginning. Like, as soon as they start talking about, like, this magic world in a separate universe that no one can go to... Like, suddenly it's like, oh, well, this whole movie is going to be about them trying to get there. Yeah. And then, like, it ends in a big fight there with monsters and demon-type things. And, like, it it just kind of goes where you would expect it to. And, like, a lot of the sort of symbolism and the foreshadowing they use to get there is very obvious. I, I do want to point out one thing that really, really stuck with me from the movie is uh, Wenwu... His whole thing, like, the whole reason that he wants to get to this myth- mystical land and he's working with the the bad guy, like, he's he just is the main bad guy, I guess, for most of the movie, is because he thinks that he hears his, uh, his dead wife's voice calling him from beyond this, you know, magical door. Um, and when he tells his children about this, when this man, who is several thousand years old, tells his children that he hears his uh, his dead wife's voice calling from the other side of the gate, they're just like, no, she's dead. You're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on. Like, there was a lot of things that were crazier than their mom actually being alive. <laughs> nah, man, that's crazy and dumb. You're crazy and dumb. You 4,000-year-old man, you couldn't possibly hear the voice of our mother. <laughs> yeah, yep. But anyways, it's uh, to go back to being excited of where Shang-Chi will go next in the MCU, a lot of the promotional stuff and in-credit stuff really sets him up to be like one of the big three in the future MCU stuff. It's like, for instance, in a lot of the trailers, particularly one, uh, it starts with like short clippets of Thor, Iron Man, Captain America... And it's just, like, in typical, like, uh, like trailer announcer voice, it's just like, a new legend will rise. <laughs> and it, I, I think a lot of stuff is setting Chang chi up to be one of the next big heroes. Like, 
Captain Marvel level or Spider-Man level. I, I want to believe that, that, but I also, I feel, I mean, didn't Marvel executives basically say that this movie was an experiment? I think, I don't think so. No, the experiment they said is about how, uh, it, it's, They weren't it's releasing to... it on streaming. Yeah. Which was a very bad decision. Yeah. I kind of think Jason's onto something, though. What I kind of yeah. think happened was they said, like... Yeah, we're we're finally putting Asian actors in the spotlight. It's an experiment. And then someone was like, "That's racist." So they were like, "Oh wait, no, we were actually talking about how we're endangering people by asking them to go to the movie theaters in the middle of a pandemic. We weren't being racist." I think that they were looking for reasons for the movie to fail. I yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. As we've seen recently, anti-Asian sentiment in America is still alive and well. And it's not overly surprising that a company such as Disney would have a lot of executives who might share some of those feelings. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And I think they, they knew they wanted to make this movie, but they were also like, we don't want to make more movies like this. So let's just set it up to fail as much as possible. Yeah, th- I think I actually talked about that in a previous episode, how... With how they were talking about this movie beforehand, I was kind of getting this vibe that they were, like, trying to give themselves the upper hand. They could kind of almost make this horrible sentiment of, like, well, we threw the Asian community a bone and it didn't make us any money, so I guess we don't have to put Asian people in movies anymore. And, like, I think the movies actually made more money than they anticipated, but it's still definitely not, like, in-game level. I mean, this is not a billion-dollar movie. It's probably going to be like hundreds of millions of dollars which is awesome but it's still not like if Endgame had gone poorly the mcu would have like come to a halt whereas like even if this one made a quarter of what it made it's still fine (laughs) uh something i do think is kind of interesting is uh simu liu has previously shared like anti-chinese sentiments uh, like against the country not against chinese people you know uh talking about some of the war crimes and atrocities that China has basically been part of or committed. And then tried to sweep under the rug. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that the first like big Marvel movie that's starring predominantly Asian people might not be in China at all. Like might not uh, show in China. Well, it's a lot of Shang-Chi talk. So let's wrap it all up and put a bow on it. Jackson, give us some pros and cons and a score. Good movie. Had really nice fight scenes, really cool characters, and I'm excited to see again. Third act, though, you know, ends with giant CGI battle, and I don't think that was very fitting with the rest of the movie. So that that really takes away from the ending a lot in my mind. Uh, like, I just, I feel like they should have done something else instead of what they did with the final act. Like just straight up having Shang-Chi fight his dad instead of fighting his dad and then giant tentacle monster. (laughs) So I think, and there's like, and also to mention what we said earlier, like it's not very memorable. Like it's not a bad movie, but like it's not as memorable as other like big MCU movies, like, like Thor Ragnarok or 
I don't want to throw Endgame in there because like that one's definitely going to be because it's like the end of everything. But <laughs> it's not as memorable as other recent or any solo movie, in my opinion. And I don't really know what about the movie it is that makes it like that, but I don't know. I think, though, I would give this movie an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I can agree with that. I um, I think it kind of sucks that the Marvel movies we're getting that star... Like, we got a, we got a female-led movie, finally. Well, after, other than Captain Marvel. But, you know, we, we finally got, like, another female-led movie... And then we got an Asian-led movie, and both of the movies were just fine, which kind of sucks, because I feel like Disney's going to take the wrong lessons. Or they're just creating the situation from the beginning intentionally. I don't think they would intentionally make the movies, like, I don't even know how you would intentionally make the movies so middle of the road. You'd have to That's get, like, fair. all the people working on the movie to agree to it. I'm worried That's that fair. Disney's going to see, like... Black Panther, or not Black Panther, but Black Widow and uh, Shang-Chi and think that, like, it's due to the people in the movie is why, like, the reactions to them are so, like, lukewarm. When it, it's just really that these movies are just following, it, it just, they're following the algorithm a, a bit too closely. It's just it creates something that's not particularly interesting to watch, and there's really not much to talk about with it. For me, of course, I think I'd be excited to see what people from other more diverse podcasts say about the movie, because I don't know if any of us really have the right kind of viewpoint to talk necessarily about the movie. Anyways, it's just a weird thing, right? Because I, I mean, obviously, our experiences were three white male, and it's something that I've talked to Abby about quite a bit. So it's like, obviously, we're not going to really kind of understand the viewpoints and stances and like uh, from other people. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of, of mythology and culture in this movie that I, at the first time seeing it, I did not understand was based on aspects of mythology and actual historical culture. So, like, there are definitely details in this movie that are going to be lost on us that won't be on others. I personally, I'm really excited to see more diversity coming into the MCU, because Endgame was great, but... All the main characters <laughs> were white and mostly men. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that the more diversity that you can kind of bring in is going to create more interesting stories, because you're going to have more viewpoints and more, you know, differences of opinion. And even just changing up the setting, I think, has been really refreshing for Marvel, because... Every single thing in the MCU for so long took place in America predominantly. And finally with Black Panther, we started to see some breaking away from that. And this is still really the only, like only the second movie in the MCU that is based, uh, based on Earth, but not like America-centric. Or at the very least, white country-centric. Yeah, I, the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of excited to see where the MCU goes. Because I'm assuming that, you know, characters like Shang-Chi, obviously Doctor Strange and Spider-Man, they're pretty much set up to be two of the big the big uh, heavy hitters moving forward in the MCU. But it'll be exciting to see characters like that we're seeing get introduced in the television series and stuff like that. You know, Ironheart... 
uh, Shang-Chi. There's more, but I'm just completely blanking. <laughs> like, I, I think that the introductions of these more char- of these new characters and more diverse characters, and presumably bringing in more diverse writers to go along with it, is going to create much more interesting stories moving forward. Even if uh, Shang-Chi's a bit of a stumbling block <laughs> when it comes to interesting stories. But I, I would say overall, like, I, I thought it was a pretty good movie. Um, definitely... You know, I say it was kind of bland, but it's definitely more interesting than Black Widow was. So I'd say it's about a seven and a half for me. I really did enjoy this movie all the way through. Like, there were some really weird stumbling blocks visually, and they underutilized some of the antagonists in it. But still, cool characters, cool fights, a lot of really cool environments, even if one was very, very CGI heavy. It was still, like, a genuinely, like, cool movie i wouldn't even say it was like a good movie i would just say it was a cool movie (laughs) and i think that that's really enough to carry a lot of movies like i think if it just sort of leaned into itself a little bit more and was a little more a, a little more dependent on sort of the kung fu influences i think it would have been even better but still like good movie would recommend it to most people. I I mean, just solid <laughs> all the way through. Yeah. So I think the movie would be a lot better if the final fight scene, instead of being two CGI monsters fighting, had just been like a more grounded kung f- or uh, martial arts battle between Shang Chi and his father. Yeah, and there was a there was a point where I thought it was building up to that because. Like, the rings have sort of changed hands, and then they are thrown out of the fight. And I thought, like, okay, this is going to be cool. This is just going to be them, like, actually fighting hand-to-hand. But then the rings are just brought right back into it after, and that kind of ruined that. But yeah, I think I think really this movie would have been, like, significantly better if it had just ended. Like, not even, like, narratively ended differently, but just didn't end with a giant cgi fight like like i said that's my biggest complaint in the movie yeah i'm i would still give it a seven out of ten which is still pretty good by our grading scale but i think it could have really benefited by being a little more heavy on the kung fu movie goals and a little less on the big budget superhero stuff like i said though love to see some reviews from more diverse podcasts, you know. I think that it would be good. I'd like. That to... was part of the reason that I thought it was it was good to bring in the Rotten Tomato scores at, at the top was because I don't know that we're necessarily the most qualified people to review this one, but I mean, with a ninety two critic and a ninety eight audience, like clearly most people are digging this movie. Well, I think if everybody gave it a seven, that would still be a hundred percent. And there have been a couple of times where that has been the case with the MCU. Like, Doctor Strange was at 100% for a long time. What? And Doctor <laughs> Strange wasn't a bad movie, but it was just like, most of the reviews were just like, yeah, it's good. None of them were like, this movie's incredible. I think it's kind of hard with the internet because you're never really going to see genuine opinions shine through when it comes to, like, averages of scores. Because there's going to be people who give their genuine opinion, and then there's going to give people who there's going to be people who are say really big fans of a certain actor or actress, and they're going to be like, "Oh, it's a ten because they're in it," and then you'll have like 
racist who give it like a zero out of ten because it has Asian people in it. Well, and there's also a big problem with reviews, like unfiltered reviews, because in this day and age, everything either has to be incredible or terrible. There's not a whole lot of middle, which almost everything is in the middle. <laughs> like, I'd say like 1% of movies are straight garbage and 1% of movies are incredible and then almost everything else is in between. <laughs> like Something I've kind of discovered, you know, since we started doing our podcast is I've always judged like IGN, Game Informer, whatever, for giving too many... I know exactly where you're going with this, and I've been thinking the in same like the thing seven to nine range. And I'm yeah. like, oh, if I reviewed things, I wouldn't put everything there. But I think the problem is like they don't give bad things bad enough scores. But the bigger issue is that everything is in the seven to nine range these days. <laughs> well, they're just not reviewing the things that aren't. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, nobody is reviewing the things that are in the five range or the the five and below range. <laughs> Well, because, and actually we talked about this some last week, so much stuff today is written by committee, so like... It's really hard to have something awful or great, because there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, everybody's gonna have a baseline of good, and like they're all shooting for good, and they're probably going to achieve it, because a lot of people are working towards that goal, but you're also not gonna have a ton of... You're not gonna have a lot of people writing crazy stories or going a thousand miles on the development processes like yeah and crazy stories can be great uh yeah but the problem is like hollywood at this point knows what works generally anyone that's making entertainment not just hollywood knows what works at this point so unless you're looking at indie games and there's not there is an independent market for movies but it's harder to find (laughs) Or at least I've had issues finding it. Um, I know no one listens to the podcast, but if one person out there does and they know how to get into the indie movie marketplace, I would love some pointers. Because I I, I would like to see. (laughs) Like, I think independent games have been really big for bringing new ideas and, like, interesting things to the fold. It's just hard to find that with movies. Absolutely. But Absolutely. like I was saying, though, the all the movies, like there's so many people working on a movie that know like what works. If you say something that isn't like doesn't conform to the normal ideas of what what's going to work for a movie, even if it's really good or really bad, you're just going to get shot down because it's an unknown quantity. Right. And it's also the movie like the best movies are going to be inherently polarizing because they're going to focus on themes and ideas that aren't inviting to all audiences um there's actually there's a couple of really good videos that alana pierce has put on her youtube channel like she has experience working across the industry and she's sort of broken down why reviews work the way they do and if it's something like like if you're like me and you've wondered why certain review scores are so common in game review media I, I think like her YouTube channel is a great place to learn about that in a way that's much more succinct than we are saying it. Definitely better than how I'm saying it, which is not saying anything. Hey, I think we could all learn to say less about things we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> I refuse to say less about anything. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, speaking of things we're probably not qualified to talk about, we got a lot of headlines. 
And we're going to do some digging into some cool, cool corporations like Sony and Apple and Epic after we take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to MPR. Once again, I'm Ira Glass. And today we're talking about Apple and Epic and their legendary feud. Before we kick things off, I just want to test the waters here. How do you all feel about the corporation Apple? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I Personally, think. Personally, I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'll tell you what I think, Bob Ross. And that's, I don't, I don't like it. See, it's tough. Because sort of like in any, in any lawsuit involving Disney, Disney's almost definitely the bad guy. I would also say in almost any lawsuit involving Apple, Apple's the bad guy. But we're talking about that hypothetical Disney versus Nestle thing you mentioned last week. And, like, <laughs> I don't know that I'm necessarily rooting for Epic in any context either. The good news is, though, they did both lose. Heck and, yeah. And consumers won, sort of. Man, the Supreme Court really did get that number one victory royale. Yep, this was a Supreme Court decision. <laughs> Do no additional research. Thank God for the Supreme Court and them finally ruling that Apple and Epic bad. Yeah, that was the whole ruling, Apple and Epic bad. <laughs> the judge has announced that both the defendant and the accountant... <laughs> the accountant. <laughs> ...are, are bad. <laughs> So let's let's back up just a little bit and talk about how this this lawsuit came to be. So Apple, being garbage, decided that if you wanted to make an app on their platform and you wanted to then charge money within that app, that you had to charge through Apple's internal I don't even know how to describe it. It had to go through the. It had to be an Apple in-app purchase, which went through the App Store. Fast forward and, twelve years, and Epic, after putting Fortnite onto iPhones and sort of just blowing up mobile gaming as we know it, decided that they didn't want to work with Apple, and introduced a system where not only could you buy things directly through Epic in the app, you actually got a discount for doing it that way. And because of that, Apple was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're only making millions of dollars from you, not millions and millions of dollars from you. So, like, Apple had to get involved and shut that down real quick. Which Epic responded by just pulling Fortnite from the App Store altogether. Losing one of their biggest cash flows, but at the same time sort of setting some precedent that maybe Apple shouldn't be able to dictate how everyone that uses their platform does it. And this led to the lawsuit, which basically ended, Epic does owe Apple some money, but Apple does not have the authority to say that all in-app purchases have to be to the App Store in the future, which opens up a lot of doors for companies that were previously hesitant to release Apple applications. <laughs> Unfortunately, 
Unfortunately, I would say this still is not necessarily a win for consumers because they also ruled that Apple does not need to allow competing stores on its products. So your only yeah. option, if, for example, if you're on an Android phone, you can download like the Amazon App Store or whatever else. Uh, iPhone, your only option is the the Apple App Store or whatever they call it. Yeah, just the uh, app store. and that will continue. Probably indefinitely. indefinitely, considering the fact that I, th- I think this would have to get overturned in another court case. <laughs> and they were ruled to to not be a monopoly, which is kind of insane. But like, that was the biggest negative. Probably should have been more than just an exchange of money, considering we're dealing with corporations on this scale. But it's it's still a victory overall. It's like definitely a victory day, for app developers. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, there's no longer a demand to give in to Apple's request if you want to use programs on the most popular phone in the world. Like, that's still a tremendous market that may have been missed in certain groups. And speaking of big corporations that I dislike very much, PlayStation finally did something kind of cool. Doesn't make up for all their horrible anti-consumer decisions lately but at least we finally have some playstation 5 games on the way yeah so on thursday we got a playstation showcase which took a deep dive into some upcoming ps5 games it it introduced uh some it it included some big reveals that a few were seemingly out of nowhere and it had some surprises about some former proprietary games. I do want to start by shouting out PlayStation for their showcase being better than most of the Epic. Uh, or, sorry, we were talking about Epic, it threw me off. Most of the E3 showcases. PlayStation <laughs> yeah. did not waste our time. This thing was like 90%, pro- maybe more, uh, probably more. Like I'll say like at least 95% of actually showing trailers for games and showing off Most? like new stuff whereas i feel like e3 they wasted a lot of our time by just showing people talking about the games that they're going to unveil yeah yeah this was pretty much back-to-back trailers and a lot of it was actually gameplay focused which was cool and i mean i'll, I'll be honest i mean i'm biased because i've admittedly always liked sony first party games but like Almost everything they talked about are things that I am interested in at least trying for sure. Oh yeah. The first of which was a pretty big Star Wars announcement. They announced a remake for Knights of the Old Republic. No real details or gameplay or anything on it. But unless I unless I miss something, there's a big name that's not included <laughs> in this game. In that there's no EA. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, EA's whole... Uh... I'd say production on this started pretty recently because EA's whole deal with Star Wars ended like less than a year ago, right? Yeah, I think this is the first announcement we've had. Yeah. Unless I missed something. I think this is the first announcement we've had since the deal ended. I think so. So I'd say this is still like a good bit out. I'd say at least three years. They didn't show any gameplay or anything, but they did show the iconic Revan mask and he stood around with a lightsaber and looked cool <laughs> that's all we really does. needed i guess <laughs> yeah yeah what do you and guys think, think this is gonna be i mean like the original is 
I I hesitate to say turn based. It, it has like I a timer based be... combat system, kind of like uh, I guess like Final Fantasy VII a little bit. It's but really similar to Final thing. Fantasy Twelve. Yeah, like, twelve. Twelve was the one I was thinking of. Yeah. So this one, I think, in just just my gut, tells me that it will be fundamentally the same, but I suspect it will be sort of refined, almost like a Dragon Quest Inquisition type system, where I think it's still going to hold that timer-based thing, but will have more options to both automate parts of it that you couldn't previously, and will have options where you can really bring things to a halt and control it almost like RTS style. Like, I, I would be shocked if it didn't have... If it didn't change it in one of two ways, either speeding it up and making it more fluid or slowing it down even more, making it more tactical. And I I think it will actually do both of those things as sort of just different paths. Meanwhile, I'm I'm going to hope and dream and, you know, actually open my heart and hope that it's an action uh, like a real time action game. That would take a heck of a rework, which I mean, I, I could definitely see them doing. Yeah, I'm expecting a lot of this, I mean, just based on it being called a remake instead of remastered, as the trend has been since Final Fantasy VII Remake, I'm expecting it to be more like the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah, I mean, I am expecting something closer to the Final Fantasy VII treatment than just a normal remaster. I wouldn't be surprised. We're comparing it to a bunch of Bioware titles. It's interesting because this is not, I don't believe I saw Bioware anywhere on it. No, I don't think they're... Bioware made the original. Yeah, it's Aspire, the same company that did the... They did a bunch of Star Wars stuff. The ports of Knights of the Old Republic for, like, phone and stuff like that. But I'm hoping it's, like, a real-time action game. Because I I don't think they're really going to be able to pull people in with the same kind of gameplay that the original had. And I guess I'm probably being a little too... I'm being a little too optimistic towards my own tastes on this one. Because I still think that... Final Fantasy XII has, like, the single best RPG combat system, like, in all of video games, <laughs> and I just want more games that do that, but there was sort of... I went back and tried to play KOTOR last year, I think, and, like, one, most ports of the game right now are very bad, and two, it has, like, a clunkiness that hasn't necessarily... Like, it's not something you can just buff out with, like an HD port or anything. So knowing it's a full-on remake has me hopeful for sure. Unless you have like an original Xbox lying around, I think currently PC is the best way to play it. And even then it's still buggy. I had multiple times where it crashed on me multiple times where like certain actions just weren't working like they were supposed to. And like, I know that user experience is going to vary drastically, but I just did not have a good time with it, and that kind of yeah. kind of gave up altogether on that. I think you, I maybe I don't remember. I think you need to mod it to get it running properly, because I don't think it even has like, I, I don't think it can even do resolutions, like modern resolutions. Yeah, it had to be like windowed and had yeah. some yeah. pretty weird sizing stuff. There, there are definitely like mods and guides out there, but. Hopefully with the remake you won't need them. I, I'm hoping Hopefully. for something similar to Mass Effect. Like Mass Effect 2. 
I think Mass Effect 2 really had a good blend of like good gameplay, but also providing good control of your squad mates. I could certainly see that being a, a good thing to compare it to. But the, the thing most people care about is going to be that lightsaber combat. And they need to have the dedicated button to spin your lightsabers or your swords. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get out of the past and dive into the future because we finally got to see some gameplay of what was sort of treated as a flagship PS5 game and then just faded away altogether. But we finally got to see some Forspoken gameplay. And at first, in the first several seconds of this trailer, seeing some of the character models and the visual style, I was like, oh no. But then it cut to like genuine gameplay and combat and like world exploration stuff. And this game looks awesome. Yeah, it looks so cool. <laughs> I was not blown away when it was originally shown. Was it just City 3 earlier this year? I think so. I think it was shown before. It was shown before then. I think at the PlayStation 5 reveal live stream. Oh, yes. E3 is and when. I think E3 is when they had E3 the actual when it, announcement when it of the name. Yeah. Yeah. Because yes. originally it was just like Project Athia or something. Yeah. It was revealed the same time that the PS5 was with very limited information. I wasn't blown away by the description stuff back then, but seeing gameplay and kind of figuring out what the story is going to be, I'm pretty excited for this. It looks very, very cool. Again, character models look rough, like look pretty dated, but the in-combat stuff and the environments and the the direction they're going with the story of it all seems pretty cool. She's got like a talking bracelet. Yes. Or maybe it's a snake. She has Maybe it's the Ten Rings. But I, it, it kind of seemed like the whole basis of the magic system in this game was casting like different types of spells and different elements and kind of combining them together. They showed off a really cool scene where someone used like a, like, they used a water spell to create like a big water spout and then ice magic on that water spout that made it like explode into shards of ice. And if there's, like, a lot of cool stuff, like, if you can actually just do that in the game, then I expect it to at least be some visually satisfying combat. Yeah, and it looked like it had a really good flow to it. Like, it looked like very punchy combat, even though it was magic-centric, which which is a good direction. This is one of the games that I saw during the showcase, and I was like, this actually kind of seems like it needs to be a next-gen game. Like, this is one of the first games we've really seen. And I mean, I know there was the whole thing about, you know, loading different maps really quickly with Ratchet and Clank, but this is the first game where it really seemed like it wouldn't work on the PS4. <laughs> we finally, finally have some gameplay and some cutscenes, anything. We have anything about God of War Ragnarok, a game we have known is coming since the PS5 itself was revealed. But we had limited information on, and we've seen some delays, but it seems like we're finally getting to see what the game actually is, and... It's more of the same in the first one, and that's completely fine. God of War Ragnarok looks like more God of War, and I'm here for it. Yeah. It's I'm God assuming they'll introduce some more, like, new interesting uh, weapons and stuff like that. Yeah, more dynamic combat, which is yeah. obviously a, a plus. And it seems like uh, Atreus will have a more active role in things, which seems pretty cool. 
He's also uh, several years older from the looks of it. Yeah. More from the sound of it. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, he's also taller. Yeah. yeah. He's like barely half Kratos' size in the first game, and now he's like up to his, up to his shoulders. Shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting to talk about this game looking like more of the same of God of War 2018, which I'm fine with, but like obviously those like console war people from the Xbox side. <laughs> have to be like what the getting in a boat animation looks the same as the first game this game's gonna be bad that feel when the uh getting in a boat animation looks the same as the first game you can't see me but i'm I'm walking both left and right and i'm a penguin (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that's just the weird complaint i've seen that makes no sense But anyways, I am very, very excited for this game. And not just because of how incredibly attractive Thor is this time around. He's a wide boy. He's thick. He's built like a bodybuilder instead of a model. Yeah, and people are upset about that. (laughs) Some people. He's he's more built like a bodybuilder. Like he's strong, not just like he's for show you know yeah yeah he's not he's not buff he looks like a guy that has lifted thousands of pounds like deadlift stuff <laughs> he's got red hair yeah he's weirdly pale <laughs> he's got a hammer <laughs> scottish but you know god of war ragnarok looks like great combat great characters thor is absolutely stacked i don't i don't know what else you would need they said that this is going to be the end of the Norse saga. Uh, I don't know necessarily what that means for the greater story, but We're they put Ragnarok in the title, and they're giving you Ragnarok. Yeah, it seems based off the trailer and some of the gameplay that it'll be moving to Egypt. Because during some of the gameplay, you see some very sandy areas, and then uh, Tyr gets reveal- revealed near the very actually at the end of the trailer and like uh some of the like promotional art they put out not long after the trailer uh tier has like hieroglyphic stuff on his arms instead of like the nordic runes uh yeah there's there's plenty of stuff set up for him to do for you know kratos to go off and do after this uh especially in tier's temple in the first god of war so it'll be exciting to see where they go with it yeah and it makes sense that tier's involved with that because i'm pretty sure in north mythology like tier is the one known for like traveling between like different realms like outside of the nine realms and stuff well, more importantly tears the god of war so yeah kratos is also should... the god of war if you've i don't know if yeah. you noticed that yeah we should get a uh another god of war game but it's tier in ancient uh ancient greece that was a dumb joke okay so let's talk about insomniac. <laughs> oh boy! Look, I so get enough sleep. Like I'm functioning properly. Insomniac is not what I am. <laughs> uh, we we knew that Spider-Man Two was not far down the road, and we finally got that trailer showing that Peter and Miles are going to be side by side in this one, and more importantly, they're no longer beating around the bush. Venom's here and, <laughs> and Curry. And and Craven, yeah. So they were, uh, you know, there were some real bombshells that uh, Spider-Man Two is on the way. It's coming in twenty twenty three, 
But that wasn't all that Insomniac decided to share with us. We also got a teaser trailer for a new Wolverine game, which was something that I was certainly not expecting to be revealed in the year 2021. I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for it. Um, I definitely want to know more for sure. Like, of all the games that they talked about, this is the one that, like, I am most like, I need to know more now. I'm kind of curious to see if they're going to have, like, like what the rating of the game is going to be. I think it'll be M, because uh, one of the developers for it... um, has said because people had some questions about the games and he like cleared it up like it'll be like a full-size game like the spider-man games with mature with mature themes yeah but mature themes doesn't necessarily mean it'll be rated m it's actually going to be rated ao um not for any violence reasons i need the game to be rated m (laughs) and i need wolverine to go full frontal (laughs) There's a lot of scenes in Wolverine media where he just is completely naked, you know? Like It's an iconic always... part of the Wolverine mythos. But like anytime we get the full frontal, there's a lot of shadows down there. I want a game that finally answers the question. <laughs> what if we turn the shadow setting off? No, I, I'm pretty excited for it. The reason I want it to be Red M is just I if you're gonna make a Wolverine game, it needs to be bloody, right? <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, his superpower is knives for hands. <laughs> yeah. And there's only two ways that that can go. Barber or murder. Well, and more specifically, there's only two methods of operation for, for that. It's either uh, stab or slice. And if you only want to do stab, I could kind of see there not needing to be a ton of gore. But there's got to also be some slash. And there's got to be a lot of blood with that. Wolverine is iconic for his slashing. Specifically, he makes the letter X because his best friend's name starts with an X. But anyways, Wolverine's a coming. Is it, you think it's going to be just Wolverine or you think they're going to bring the entire X-Men into it? I mean, obviously it'll just be Wolverine as the playable character, but I mean... Yeah. I, could, I would be shocked if there aren't at least a few other X-Men that are in the fold. But I also think the fact that the game is straight up called Wolverine indicates he will probably be the only character, only playable character, if not the only significant playable character. Yeah. But I think it would be kind of cool to see. I mean, I, I'm a big Nightcrawler fan, and I guess Cyclops and Jean Grey need to be there because they're pretty important. <laughs> A Wolverine game without Jean Grey sounds kind of crazy, so. Yeah. You know. Wolverine game without Cyclops seems kind of weird, too. True, true. I feel like a lot of X-Men comics are kind of defined between by the, the relationship between them. At least, like, the older ones. Spider-Man 2, though, looks really good. Hey, and so they showed combat <laughs> of both Spider-Men fighting one guy, and honestly seems a little unfair. <laughs> but, uh... I assume Kraven's gonna be, like, the main... Well, I Craven and Venom are gonna kind of share the spotlight. Yeah, it seems. I don't know. I I'm not sure who to think is the main villain based off the trailer. I like Craven, but I've yet to see him be that interesting of a main villain. Yeah, I, I think he's done it in the comics before, 
Because he straight up killed Spider-Man at one point. But I don't know how well Craven really translates to gameplay or anything like that. Yeah, he has to he has to be more of a conceptual villain than like a fighting hand-to-hand villain. I don't know. He's kind of in a weird place. I think he makes more sense as a fighting hand-to-hand villain, but I don't know how he wouldn't just get demolished by Spider-Man. <laughs> Especially Miles Morales, who can straight up just electrocute him. people. <laughs> yeah. I'm also interested, J- Jackson and I discussed this some before, I'm interested in seeing like the power dynamic between Peter and Miles on this one. That's I assume they're going to make Peter's gadgets more impressive. Yeah, that's like I, I, I think Peter's gonna be all about gadgets, and Miles is gonna be all about shocking people to death. Yeah, and it also seems that the like the Iron Spider like claws thing, arms, whatever, will be like one of the staple abilities for him based off the trailer. I think now is as good a time as any for us to go ahead and pull the plug. Jackson, what is something you've been into this week before God of War? Two even got its gameplay trailer and stuff. There was a whole lot of leaks about how it would be at the PlayStation Showcase. So that made me pretty excited. And I started playing the first one again. And uh, yeah, it holds up after only three years. Because that's what video games do. <laughs> Especially ones that are, you know, really good. It is. Pr- I don't know if I'd say it's one of my favorite games. But it is definitely one of the best games I've ever played. It is see the thing that makes it so good to me is that it's just it's just fun. Like it's one of the most fun games I've ever played. <laughs> like a lot of the combat stays the same throughout a lot of the game. You just, you know, you get new skills and stuff. It just stays fun the entire time and it never really gets tiring. And I think a lot more games need to focus on that. <laughs> a lot of games are just like Hey, you're going to do the same sort of stuff for the entire game with not a lot of differences. Have at it. (laughs) Well, this game doesn't really do that. So, you know. I think the advantage the game really has is that I think the combat stays difficult, but not insurmountable. Yeah. You're always having to learn something to overcome a new enemy type or something to that effect. Yeah, it does pretty well about spacing out the introduction of new enemies, and it has, like, good challenges... Like, the, the Valkyrie fights are all really good. Well, not all of them. One or two of them's pretty easy. But, like, it all builds up to the final Valkyrie fight, and that's a really good challenge. Uh, the biggest challenge, though, is fighting any Revenant. I don't know what it is about them, but they are always annoying the fight. <laughs> Those are the ones that you have to shoot with Atreus? Yeah, and sometimes yeah, I... it just doesn't work. <laughs> but, anyways, if you're listening and you have not played this game yet... Play it. Right now. Don't do anything else until you play it. If you're listening and you haven't played God of War uh, or God of War 3, go read the plot synopsis for the first two God of War games and then play God of War 3 and then play God of War 2018. Or just That's the best way to experience it. (laughs) Hey, I only played God of War 2018 without knowing anything else other than he killed a bunch of gods in ancient Greece. And I still think I got the I, I got the full gist of it. I don't believe you, because uh, I think like a whole big part of God of War is Kratos' emotional journey, and I think that doesn't really make sense if you haven't kind of seen what he's gone through in the original God of War games. 
I think God of War 2018 is still an excellent game if you haven't played that, but I think you really don't appreciate Kratos as a character quite as much if you haven't seen just how brutal he was to begin with. In God of War 3, he's at his most brutal, I would say. Yeah. And, like, in like clearly a big part of God of War is the fact that Atreus is trying to break through to his father who has this, like, tough outer shell and is unwilling to communicate. But, like, if you were to play God of War 3 and then immediately after God of War, you would see how far Kratos has already come just to be, like, the type of person he is at the beginning of 2018. Like... God of War 3 has also aged much better than God of War 1 and 2. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the only one to get a PS4 re-release. Yeah. Because it's the only one that was worth it. <laughs> Anyways, Jason, what's something you've been into? I decided to pick up The Outer Worlds because I was playing through Fallout New Vegas. Uh, I've been doing the DLC, and the first one... Well, I did it second. I did Honest Hearts, which is probably my favorite of the of the DLCs that I've played so far. It's about going to like Zion National Park, and it, it's just really interesting. Um, it's really nice to explore, and I think there's probably the best environmental storytelling in in uh, Fallout New Vegas in that DLC. But uh, I started playing the second DLC, which was the first one to be released, uh, Dead Money. And it's like a survival horror-based thing, and I got tired of it, because it's somewhat difficult, and the companion AI is super buggy. So I went to play Outer Worlds, and I bought it when it first released, I don't even remember, 2019? Yeah. And I kind of fell off of it pretty quickly, but I decided to pick it up again, and I'm enjoying it a lot more than I did the first time. I think the gunplay is somehow worse than New Vegas. Like, I really don't enjoy the gunplay very much in it, but I think that the dialogue and, like, kind of the ridiculousness of the situations in the game are, you know, pretty interesting and pretty fun. The gunplay is pretty much the biggest complaint I've heard about the game, and I definitely agree with it. It's that all the guns feel the same. Yeah, they feel the same, and none of them particularly... I don't think they're that interesting to look at either. No, they're kind of just generic sci-fi guns. And going from New Vegas to that, and like New Vegas doesn't have great gunplay, but I I would say Outer Worlds still somehow pales in comparison to even New Vegas. Like, it's some rough gunplay. But I don't think it's. I think the dialogue and stuff like that is good enough to keep me interested, and I'm having a good time with it. I'll uh, keep you updated a little bit on how I get through that. <laughs> I, I, I've i never really been able to connect with the Fallout games, but there was something about Outer Worlds that I, I really liked. Like, I, I got super sucked into it when it first came out. I have not played it since. I have not gone back for the DLC, but I think I had played the entire base game and just about everything you can do of one playthrough of the base game within, like, the first two weeks it was out, because I was playing it so much. Like I said, having a good time with it so far. I'm also continuing to play New Vegas in the background, so I'm on the final DLC of that now. And the DLC for New Vegas is a lot better than I originally gave it credit for. I've always said really good things about the base game. The DLC is, like, Honest Hearts kind of sticks out, because it was... Honest Hearts was directed by the same guy that directed the base game, 
Uh, but the other DLCs were done by Chris Avalon. And they all, like, really build into each other and kind of, like, reference the other DLCs in interesting ways where it kind of makes you want to learn more about them. Or if it's, like, a reference to something you've already done in one of the previous DLCs, you're, like, it gives a lot more context. And then the characters... There's a cast of characters that's in all three of those DLCs that you're kind of following the story of. And it's pretty tightly tied to the Courier's story as well. It's really interesting how it all kind of flows together so i'm having a good time with that but uh jordan what you been up to well i have been back on the mobile gaming front something that i have put way too much time into in the past and then kind of fell out of because there's only two good mobile games i'm going to talk about one of them this week and i actually don't think i've brought it up much on the podcast which seems kind of weird based on how much time i've put in this game over the last i don't know year year and a half it's sort of the uh, father of the modern roguelike. I'm talking about Slay the Spire. Slay the Spire is a card game, deck builder, roguelike thing where you pick one of four characters and you fight your way past some monsters to get to the top floor of a spire. And the game is very, very difficult and you will fail many, many times before you beat the game for the first time took me like 30 hours to beat the game and once you finally succeed the game's like oh well now do it as the other characters so i invested more time into it finally beat it with all four of the characters and then it was just like oh and by the way there are like 15 more difficulties on top of what you've already played (laughs) so now i am back to just grinding it out uh trying to pump up the difficulty for all four characters as high as I possibly can. It's a game that really sucks you in because all four characters are totally different with a ton of different potential builds for each one. My only real complaint with the game is that it's a little too RNG-centric, even by card game standards, but like, still just a really fun game. It's, it is cards, but it's you know still fairly fast-paced combat for it to be turn-based. And it's got a good art style to it. It's just a solid game. And, I mean, it's available on every platform that exists. Um, So, like, whatever you're playing on, you can find it. Uh, Mobile port is excellent now because they fixed the UI. To If you're like me and you played it when it first came out on mobile, it was kind of rough because it was just straight up the PC version. (laughs) But now the mobile version has a UI that's actually optimized for mobile, which goes a long way. Makes it much more fun just to, you know, pick up and play for a couple minutes and put it back down. But real, real good game. If you're interested in card games or roguelikes at all, this is this is sort of the one that I think started the real roguelike craze we're seeing today. So, so you know, pay it its respects. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of roguelikes or card games. Me so. either. All right. Well, talked about Shang-Chi, God of War. Fallout New Vegas, The Outer Worlds, and Slay the Spire. But you know what we so, didn't talk about? Destiny. And we're not going to. But yeah, check out all these things. We recommend them. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. I recommend it. <laughs> but, for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.